0: Jesus Christ. He is the Lord who gives. He's the Lord. That means he's the king. That means that he has dominion over everything in this particular instance. Unlike other kings, his dominion is not limited. He has reign over all things. And in being the owner and operator of all things... It is his to give. He is the God who gives. He's generous in how he gives. He's a very kindly master in what he gives. But I do have to say there is an agenda attached to his giving. He is not one who just at random Dispenses. He's also not a cosmic vending machine that just is obligated to give to you as long as you have first given to him. That's not how it works at all. No, God is a generous giver, and he is one who gives from his own resources. Now, it can't be said that he doesn't own everything, and it can't be said that he doesn't have possession of all resources. But what God really has is not just things and not just stuff. But what God has that is on offer that we are definitely, desperately in need of is Him. We need Him. Jesus Christ is on offer. God is. Would like to offer you his very self in the person of Jesus Christ. And as he offers to you grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy, kindness upon kindness, it is not that God simply wants to resource your aspirations, that he's simply there to make sure that the bottom line is covered. What God wants to give to you is himself. And what God wants from you is not your money, not your behavior, not whatever other resource you may think you have to offer him. No, what God wants is you. What God wants is described very well in the phrase, God wants a relationship with you. Not a dysfunctional relationship with you. Anybody who has relationships, which is all of you listening, know that there is such a thing as a dysfunctional relationship. Yeah, that's not exactly what God is looking for. God is looking for a rightly ordered relationship with you where he can offer himself to you and you will receive not just his gifts, but that you'll receive him. And where you will not just receive, but that you will give. You are given the opportunity to give. Now, maybe some of you go to churches where that is code language for fundraising. God wants you to give of yourself, sacrificially, not just of your supl- surplus. Oh, I agree with that. But I am not about to be uh, translating that into some kind of a... Uh, fundraising kind of a message. Oh, yeah, God wants you to be generous. That's true. That is right. God wants you to give. Yes, that's true. That's right. But um, I share your skepticism with people who try to put you in a position where you are being given the opportunity to give of your finances uh, in order to line the pocket of those who are doing the ministry of asking you to give you, uh, to give uh, them your money. You know, what kind of a ministry is that anyway, right? Your ministry is the ministry where you raise money by asking people to give you their money and then you're going to do what with your ministry? Ask people to give more money. Well, that's not a ministry at all. Don't be fooled into giving money to those people. No, th- what I'm asking of you and what I'm actually trying to get across to you is God wants you to give him your very self. Why? Because he has first given himself to you. He says this, except rather than using the words give himself, we translate that as love. God has given himself to us firstly. We can give ourselves to him in return. We love God because he first loved us. Isn't that what we mean when we say that? And yes is the answer. Not just that God has certain emotions about us or that he has a certain rich context of heartfelt uh, um, feelings that are to our benefit or whatever. God does love us, and God does have emotions about us and for us and towards us. And yes, they are favorable, most generally. But what God wants is you. And God has put his... Well, I can't say money where his mouth is, because that analogy falls through. But he's put his very blood where his mouth is. Or if you had communion this last Sunday... He put his blood where your mouth is. The idea is he has committed himself to that great notion. He wants you. He wants to be with you. In order to do that, he may have to rescue you. You may already have been rescued. And if you have not, then it turns out that he has to rescue you. It may be that God has to cover over your treacheries. That as king, he may have to do business with your treasons. He may have to deal with all of that and do away with your guilt before the court, being a righteous king. But he goes through all of those lengths, he goes through all of those measures of dealing with your guilt, of dealing with your treachery, of dealing with your treasons, of dealing with your sins, of dealing with where you have come up Short before a righteous judge in a um, honest court that is trying to do uh, nothing more or less than give a holy and a righteous God his proper space, he cannot share space with sin uh, in in that context. So. What God does is, he's going to deal with it. He's going to take care of it. He's going to get on top of it, as we say. And God sends his son. Now, that doesn't mean that God and Mary somehow procreated and they thereby had a child who is half human and half divine. No. Jesus is fully divine. He is the the God. He is deity. He is deity in fleshed, And as such, he, God, is dealing with our sins by coming to meet us where we are in order to retrieve us, to rescue us, to redeem us, to give us a way of being forgiven and having our guilt dealt with. In his mission, coming to claim not only his people, but also his place, the earth that he made for himself to share space with his people and his creation. In that, he was rejected by his elect, his selected people, the Jews. He was rejected by the high courts of his priests, He was rejected by the royal and the ruling class. Herod, who was termed the king of the Jews. Pontius Pilate, who was the governor over the area from the outside. And thereby, the reigning Caesar uh, met Jesus with a uh, a failed justice system. (laughs) All of these things fell through. Power. uh, Political pressure groups. Any kind of anglings. The people who were supposed to be his. Those who were versed in the law. The ones that he had covenanted with. The ones to whom the oracles were given, the covenants, the fathers, all these things that he had given, and and every bit of it fell through. Almost all of it came to nothing in the sort of thinking that we would have. But he saw all of that in advance. He predicted it. Not only did he predict it, but he came into the situation quite on purpose. He was in control. He had not lost control. He wasn't a victim in that. And it gave Jesus the place where he could, at the hands of his own people, being rejected by those that he came to rescue and to meet, his own people, this gave way for him to Expand his generosity. Expand his covenant mercies. Give graces beyond what he had given, even up till then. His mercy and his grace and his pities were expanded. And his promises and his covenants and his blessings were then poured out in ways, in in degrees in an amplitude yet unseen. Things that had been predicted. There were precedents to his kindness. But God, in the person of Jesus Christ, was put to death. His blood was shed as a way for him to be able to, with all righteousness go beyond the Jews. To go beyond the covenant that he had made with the Jews. To go beyond the constraints of his election. To open wide the gates to all and sundry to whosoever will. And all, all are invited to participate in the covenant through Jesus Christ. And now, Jesus gives. Jesus gives. God gives. Freely. Richly. Of himself. And now, let me bring you to the book of James. In the book of James, I want you to see that There are things that are on offer. Now, it's not as simple as uh, maybe even I myself have intimated before. It's not as simple as maybe others certainly have intimated before. Some have even said outright, it's as easy as asking for it. And because we believe, then God is obligated to give to us because we believe him therefore, if you don't get what you want, it's because you just didn't believe him enough. That's, that's terrible. That's terrible. And I hope I've never used language that actually gave you any indication that that was the way that it worked. See, instead, we believe God, and because we believe God, whatever it is that we get from him, we believe God in it. And we believe God through it. And whatever our situation is, even if he doesn't give to us, We still believe. That's how it works. And in our believing, ultimately, what we will have is a salvation and a rescue. We will be saved. We will not be spared from troubles. We will not be spared from death. We will be rescued from it. Saved. Not spared. Saved. And so now, what we need to know is that God has an agenda for us. It is not as simple as God just simply wants everybody to have a good time. And it's not as simple as God just simply wants everybody to have as much as they possibly can. It's not that simple. That's not God's intention here. God has his own agenda. And because we believe him, it is for us to give up our agenda and follow his Agenda? Can you believe that there's actually someone superior to you who has more wisdom than you, who understands better, who has designed reality and designed your existence and your situation and circumstances and your surroundings, having made all of creation and knowing the story from beginning to end, this God actually applies his own thinking to it. And has a way that he deems to be the best. And strangely enough, you and he may have something of a disagreement about how things should work out. But what I'm here to tell you is, if there's a disagreement between you and God about how things should work out, it's because you are wrong and you need to adapt. All right? God knows what he's up to. And I have said before and I will say again, I have no fear, none whatsoever, that God is going to be faithful, that God is going to do what he needs to do, God is going to do what is best, overall, super abundantly, the best. I do not fear whether God will be righteous or whether God will be faithful. I do sometimes concern, uh, get concerned about whether his human beings... Will be faithful. I do wonder if we, his people, myself included, uh, will in fact stand up to uh, being faithful and righteous. God, no doubt at all. He's got it. He's got it under control. He knows what he is doing. And so if there's ever a question, then the way that we know that we can just default mode go is God is right. And if one of us has gone astray, Then it is me, and what I need to do is put my agenda down, make a fresh new attempt, putting my agenda down, we call that repenting, change your mind to match up with God, confess where you have gone wrong, I don't mean invent allegations against yourself, and don't be like dramatic and be all Shakespearean about the whole thing. Oh Lord, I am so wrong before you. I have sinned so egregiously before your holy and majestic throne and your presence and whatever, whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. Simply recognize oh, God had this plan, I had that plan, and I may not be maximally wicked, but I've gone astray from his plan. In which case, I need to repent change my mind, turn my vision over to his vision, and try very hard to take on his agenda because he's right. And not only is he right, he's good. He's good. He's worthy of me doing it his way. You know, you can't tell me that you haven't ever been in some kind of a struggle, whether it's at work or maybe... Uh, With a uh, your wife or your husband or something, and you just know if we could do it my way, this would turn out so much better. I mean, let's let's just try it my way, and what we'll find out is is that my way works best for everyone, not just for me, for everyone. Well, that that is very much how God uh, finds his situation. People, people, people. And we just do it my way? Because it's what's best for everyone. And then he gets mad, of course, with stubborn people who are stiff-necked. And God says, oh, you stubborn and stiff-necked, obstinate people. Let's do it my way. I have no doubt that God is a righteous God. I have no doubt that he is faithful. I want us, his human beings, I want us to where necessary, take inventory, take a look at where it is that we fall short, where it is that things are not the way that they ought to be, and then do a little determining on how it is that we can maybe be a part of changing that up. A lot of times it amounts to nothing more or less than just simply surrendering, yielding, calling out to the Lord and saying, you know what, I'm going the wrong way. I am sorry, will you please fix it? And God, he fixes things. God fixes things. It may be that it's more involved than that, though, sometimes. That God wants more from you. Again, he has an agenda. His agenda is right. He is the owner. He is the operator. He has purchased you and me. He has shown himself to be in earnest in that he allowed for death to overtake, quote-unquote, overtake, for the sake of him rising from the dead so that he could rescue from death, rescue from sin, defeating all of the idols and the claimants to deity in his position. He has shown himself to be worthy of being followed, worthy of being surrendered to, submitted to. He loves so deeply. He loves so richly. He loves so mightily. And having given himself to us, we can respect that by saying, you know, I am going to trust that you're right. And I'm not just going to think thoughts about how right you are. I am actually going to put practical, measured steps onto living my life in such a way that it reflects that I am Letting you be the king, letting you be the boss, you actually get to tell me what to do, and I actually have the privilege of being in the service of the king. I have the privilege of yielding I have the privilege of operating within your uh i'll say management that's a really weak word for it, it should be you know understood more in just an absolute lordship, but to try to translate across to the modern American. English speaker, thinker, his management, he is superintending over everything and for us to intentionally be yielded to that superintendence and make an attempt at doing it his way. That doesn't mean that things aren't going to be hard. In fact, it's almost precisely what it does guarantee is that it's going to be hard. We have an enemy, at least one enemy, who is very interested in you getting it wrong, failing. The Satan, the devil, the adversary, the accuser. He is very interested in us coming up short. But uh, he's not the only one. So if there are trials, if there are tests, recognize that sometimes those are temptations from the devil. Okay? We have an adversary. We have an accuser the devil but we also have our own flesh our own flesh desires to go after our own proclivities to make our own ways to put our agenda first well that's wrong and that's bad if it goes against God's if our agenda is 100% in sync with God's super go after your agenda because it's God's agenda wonderful if however it gets in the way then recognize that, you know, not only do we have the devil giving trials and giving tests and giving temptations, we also have our very selves that we have to combat with and compete with and fight against and hold in subjection and overcome. Well, I wish it was only there, but it's not. We also have this world, this world system, this secularum, it, if I can call it, it, is after us as well. Wanting to consume us. Uh, it Most visibly there is entropy. Uh, energetic entropy, yes. But it's also something that tears down at the very fabric of the inner man. This world, this secularum. Where it looks like might makes right. Where it looks like money makes the rules. You know, the golden rule being... He who has the gold makes the rules. It looks that way, but it's deceptive. It's a put on. And then there is also the fact of God. You want to know something? God doesn't tempt us. That's not it. But God does test us and he is well within his rights to test us. God allows for Certain situations to crop up, but he also uh, makes certain situations so that we will be tested. Now, before you get crazy on that one, those are opportunities for us to demonstrate our love for him. It's opportunities. Kids who play video games get this all the time. The game makers make it hard so that the kids who are playing the video games have the opportunity to get the points. And to get the golden dingers and to get the stars and the bells and the what have you. When God designs the the situation to be hard, it's an opportunity for you to shine. And in this case, it's not an opportunity for you to earn salvation. Stay entirely clear of that dumb idea. He did not allow his son to die so that you could earn your own salvation. No, he allowed his son to die so that you could get free, unmerited grace from his kindness. But then having received his grace and his kindness, being made to be a part of the covenant, having forgiveness, being adopted into the family as a covenant member, and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you are given an opportunity to live the Christ life, out of loyalty and out of love, and demonstrate, and you're given an opportunity to shine before the Lord and please Him and to show Him um, your, your love and loyalty and to demonstrate there. He's giving you an opportunity to show uh, your, uh, the extent of how you would love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. If you have a spouse who says to you, You know what I would like is, I would really like for our 20th wedding anniversary to go on a cruise. They don't do that to make you feel like a dirtbag. They do that to say, For our 20th anniversary, I'd like to go on a cruise. And if it's something that you can do, I would like to see you do it. And then you have the opportunity to say, Hey, honey, for our 20th wedding anniversary, you know what I got? I got two tickets to go on this cruise. And that's a great success. It's a great blessing given. It's okay if the Lord gives you an opportunity to shine by putting a test before you. You got all these things there, though, in front of you. And some of these things make it very, very difficult. It's allowed to be difficult. <laughs> okay. I'm studying to become a doctor currently and one of the things that I have said several times to other students who, uh, sometimes the other students, they will whine. I'm not saying that I don't whine, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about other students whining right now. They will whine about how difficult the program is and I will say you know it's a doctoral program. We're going to be doctors. It's Okay, it's allowed to be hard. In fact, it should be hard, right? Anybody identify with that? It's not like they should just be handing out degrees, certificates to just anybody and everybody as a participation award. I showed up, I participated, didn't I? I was here most days. No, 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 it, it's allowed to be hard. And in fact, it even should be hard. But sometimes it's hard in ways that makes uh, that makes uh, going forward just almost beyond us. In fact, again, I would say we get put in the place where it is beyond us. By design. God allows for it to be hard. You've heard it said before. I know you have. God will never make it harder for us than, uh, what he, that, oh, I don't think I got it right. I'm so, uh, I don't believe this, so I don't use this phrase, but, um, uh, God will never make it harder than what he, I don't remember how it how, how it goes now. Like I said, I don't say this. So God will never allow it to be harder than what you can do to get over it, or he'll never give you more than you can overcome or something like that i'm I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. Let me just say this that's false that is false that's not good biblical thinking at all. God will regularly make it harder than what it is that you can do that way you are needy that way you have to call out to him that way we know who are his. Because they're the ones that are calling out to him. God will never give you more than you... I don't remember. Anyhow, you, you remember. There are people out in Radioland correcting me right now. I can hear you. Uh, God will never give us more than we can do to overcome something. I Maybe that's... I don't know. But it's not in the Bible, first off. So I can't quote it. Um, but God certainly will give us more than we can handle. God will never give us more than we can handle? Is that it? Yeah. Well, that's dumb too. Yes, he will. And yes, he does regularly because it allows for us to be needy so that we call out to him so that we know who are his. They're the ones that are calling out to him, not the ones who are on easy street. They're the ones who are calling out to him, the ones that recognize their desperate need for the Lord. And in that, God is able to, as I said, come and be a... Rescuer, be a redeemer, to step into the situation. Because that's what the temptation actually is all about, is turning to the Lord. That's what the test is all about, is turning to the Lord. That's what God allows for you to struggle with, is turning to Him. That's the answer in every instance. Uh, Again, to borrow from the kids that play the video games, uh it, it it's not like you're gonna have to do something altogether different from what you've been doing uh from the, the outset of the game. The whole point of the game is and it's not a game. I'm just using the game as an analogy. The whole point of the game is, uh with video games it's to overcome the the bad guys or whatever. But the, the point in Christianity is to surrender and yield before the Lord and allow for God to be God. And he will overcome the bad guys, and we will be given the victory through him. We are receivers. We are those who accept the gifts given by God. We are truly a needy people. And, oh, that rubs people the wrong way. Here we are in America... Here we are as people who have been trained to be self-sufficient and independent and if uh, and by the way I agree with those things and I believe in those things but don't you dare pretend like you're just all independent and self-sufficient and you like you don't need God uh, I'm on board with Galatians chapter 6 where you're supposed to carry your own load you had better carry your own load And furthermore, you'd better not only carry your own load, but you better be able to help somebody else carry theirs, because sometimes it is overwhelming for people. I hope that God gives you the strength and God gives you the resources to carry your own load, yes, but I also hope that he gives you more than that, so you can help others to carry their load and to offer love and grace and kindness. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Jesus himself said that, and I believe it. But at the same time, when we stand before God, we are a needy people and we receive from his hand. We eat from the king's table. He is the one who provides for us. Now, in in the world that we live in, the secular world, what we see is, is that government doesn't produce anything. They take our money and they put it together. And the more taxes they gather, the better those who are supposed to be our servants Uh, live they get more privileges and they get more benefits and they eat better foods and they wear nicer suits and they drive faster and fancier cars and so forth and they do this because they don't produce anything but rather they just take from the Americans the earners and they redistribute uh, to themselves essentially to their own benefits and to their own agenda But when we actually stand before God, he is the source of all giving and he gives to us richly and he provides for us. And in providing for us, this God who gives, gives to a people who recognize their need. That we stand as a people desperate before him. That's part of what makes us receivers. Receivers those that are not just simply on the take, but if we don't take from God, if we don't receive from Him, if we can't be needy before Him, then we have truly come up short. And we're at best deceiving ourselves. At best. At best. So, again, James, chapter 12, uh, this is going to sound a little something like a beatitude, like Jesus, <coughs> on the Sermon of the, on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, that kind of territory, where James says, Blessed is a man who perse- perseveres under trial. Right? First the trial, then the perseverance. First the trial, then the perseverance. You have to have the trial in order to persevere. And if you are under trial and persevering, then you are blessed. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, and here's why. Once he has been approved... Okay, so you remember we talked last week. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. What? Really? I'm supposed to consider that joy? Yeah, because it's producing something. So now, you're blessed because you are one who perseveres under these trials. So, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials... And now understand that a man who perseveres under the trial is blessed. And here's why. For once he has been approved, he will receive. He will receive. What will he receive? Okay? When you're put in the being needy kind of a position before the Lord, and you persevere in that needy position before the Lord, You're blessed, and here's why. Because coming out on the other side of that through perseverance under that trial, you're being fitted with that test, and if you persevere through that thing, then you're blessed. And the reason why we can say you're blessed is because when you come out on the other end of that thing, you are going to receive. What are you going to receive? Well, Rod Roddy, tell them what they've won. No, it's not that silly. You will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, I am not one of those people who goes to the Bible and says, You need to go into the Bible and you need to claim for yourself some of those promises that he made. Okay, I'm not one of those people. But I cannot avoid this verse and what it says. So there's some people that go through and they hunt down, where are the blessing verses? And then they can preach those blessing verses to people because their ears itch after a blessing. No, I'm actually, I I guess I'm the other way around. I'm kind of somewhat lamenting over the idea that uh, what I want to do is preach the entire word of God. And then every now and again, I come into these areas where the scripture says that you're blessed and you get to receive, and you get these great things, and there are promises, and he loves you, and you love him, and all. And it kind of feels a little bit uh rainbowy and hippie-ish and stuff, but you know what? I just have to square up to the fact that God's the one who invented blessing. God is the one who invented reward, and that's okay. And so I, I'm not going to be embarrassed at all by saying this. This is an area where God has not only has he made promises, but he re-emphasizes those promises. So, again, the one that has a trial, and he perseveres through this neediness, and it's very obvious that it's with God, not apart from God, but with God. This person is blessed. And once comes out on the other end of that thing, He's going to be one who receives from God. What's he going to receive from God? He's going to receive what God has already promised. He has made promises to people. And this is God here now. He has promised. And he can't lie. He has promised. That he is going to give the crown of life to those who love him. To those who who love him i hope without being the least bit squishy or yellow or wishy-washy or whatever the the word might be i hope that you love the lord and i don't mean i hope that you're somebody who has vaguely fond sensitivities towards the deity I do not mean. I hope that you have some therapeutic emotional state of being where you know we can reference this wholesome set of emotions towards God. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you are actively living your life in loving pursuit. Uh, you know that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And while I'm not doing any fundraising, that includes your money. Okay? Take your money and give it away. Okay? Be generous with it. Show yourself to be kind because God is kind. So, in whatever it is that you're doing, I hope that you are loving the Lord in it, with it, through it, by it. And so if whatever your situation is you are showing perseverance on account of the fact that you love God you're going to get what that what God has promised to those who are loving him and that is that you will receive the crown of life this is a promise of royalty this is a royal promise not just that God is royal and he makes a promise and now the promise is royal It's a promise of royalty. You will be getting the crown of life. Who gets crowns? You can say, you know, ruling class people, kings, for instance, princes, for instance. These people get crowns. Somebody may say, oh, well, you can get a a laurel wreath crown if you are a... um, Uh, One of those who competes in the games, think like uh, Olympics, right? Somebody who is a sprinter, and you win the running, sprinting competition, and you get a crown. That's true, but what does that mean? It means that you're the one who rules that competition. So even in that, there's lisping at this. Well, what what God is not talking about is that you will get some fading laurel wreath that lasts for just a little while because you ran a race real good. That's bad grammar, but I meant it. No, this is to say you're going to get crowned, a royal crown. And that royal crown is going to be a royal crown of life. You're going to have life. You're going to have... Jesus style, Holy Spirit filled, life eternal, and that's going to show up again in the book of James. Uh, there are different interesting um, ways that this one winds up getting worked out, uh, but it's it's very important. The promise is based on uh, the the original uh, project. Adam and Eve. I I keep going back to this. This is so important to me. And it should be important to you. It's important to the way that the Bible works out. God said, first page of the Bible. Let us create man in our image and let them rule. That business of ruling is man's position. That's what man is. That's what man is for. That's what the whole project is about. That we human beings would rule for God, through God, by God, that we would demonstrate his lordship in our lives, through our lives, and that what we do would accomplish his glorification. Again, another royal word. That people and that creation would recognize their king and their master. Now, by the way, I think that creation has no problem at all whatsoever with recognizing her master. The portion of creation that doesn't seem to recognize her master is mankind. One can make an argument that the uh, demons do not recognize their master. Okay, fine. I'm not going to fight that fight right now. I get it. Um, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved. Right? You can demonstrate in a way. If you read that verse, you can pick this up. You can demonstrate through a trial a disapproved way. You can be disapproved of. You can approach a trial and fail it miserably. Maybe not even miserably, just fail it. Just flat fail it. You get an F. Okay, You failed it. It is possible, even if you are one of... God's people. It is possible to fail a test. And according to this, the way of doing that is by not persevering. Okay? But if you find yourself in a trial and you persevere, then you are in fact blessed and after you have persevered, and I can't tell you how long, but I can tell you persevering doesn't happen for a second or two. Persevering sometimes happens over the course of years or decades even. Once you have come through that and persevered through it, and you have been approved, then you will receive is the one of the keys to this. You will Receive the crown. You will receive the promised crown. The crown that is promised to those that love him. You will receive it. And that crown entails life. Royal life. Alright, so let's move on. Let no one say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God. False. False. God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. Okay, that's how that works. Temptation doesn't really work very well if you don't have uh, something inordinate and out of the way. Now I will say, having said what I just said, I will say that Jesus himself was tempted Okay, Each one is tempted. That is because he is in human flesh. And it is easy for us to get things out of order and bent. It is easy for us to get confused. It is easy for us to take the short-term view. It is easy from our perspective to be confused in such a way that what we want, what we think we want, rises to the fore instead of our submission and our surrender before God. And Jesus proves that it's not wrong to be tempted. Okay? It's not wrong to be tempted. That just simply means that we are, in fact, desperate. It means that we are, in fact, in this mortal frame, weak. Okay? Jesus, being divine, when he was in the mortal frame, found himself Weak, and that is a real demonstration that he was a real human being. It'd be really easy to just think that Jesus was divine all over the place, but he was a genuine human being as well, and we can see that through the weakness of uh, being put under temptation. but uh, each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust then. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived. Please be on your guard. Open your eyes. Be aware. Do not be deceived, my brethren. Every good thing given, and every perfect gift... Again, that which is given, and these things are things to be received. So, do not be deceived. That rhymes with received. Alright, anyhow. Every good thing given, and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will... He brought us forth. Okay, so did you see what happened in verse 15? When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Verse 18, we're not talking about lust conceiving, giving birth to sin, and sin bringing forth death. We're talking about God in the exercise of His will. He brings forth, by the word of truth... So that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. He brings us. Okay. do you see that? So we have lusts. That lust conceives. That lust gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is accomplished, what does it bring? It brings forth death. What does God bring forth? Sin brings forth death. He brings forth death. Us, Did you see that? In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. That doesn't mean that we were born first, by the way. Okay, so that, that topples a, uh, a really big Jehovah's Witness line of thinking. Being the first fruits does not... Uh, it, it means inheritor, <laughs> is what a first fruit is, inheritor, uh, a firstborn, a firstfruit, among other things. It's also an offering uh, of sorts. So verse 19, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, you must be slow to speak, you must be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. I've been angry before. I'm not sure it's been righteous indignation. Anger, though. Therefore, verse 21 says, putting aside, intentionally, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, put aside the filthiness. In humility, put all that remains of wickedness aside. In humility, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. Receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. For those of you who are paying attention, we are to receive the word and in humility, and that will save your soul. Verse 12, we are to receive the crown of life. We are to receive the crown of life. And if you pay attention to the way that it was said in verse 7... The one who doubts God, who lacks wisdom, ask God. That's fine. But if you doubt, then recognize that you're not going to receive anything from the Lord. So believe the Lord. Receive wisdom. Believe the Lord. And through that belief persevere under trial. You will be blessed, just as you'll be blessed when you come out from uh, the other side of various trials, because it produces a, a maturing fruit. Here, we're told that you will receive the crown of life. So love him, believe him. And then in verse 21, we're told that Yes, we're to be at work putting aside all filthiness. We're to be at work putting aside all that remains of wickedness. And do that in humility. And in that humility, recognizing that you are the royal one. You are the first fruits. You are the one who is God's own recognizing that but in humility you receive the word implanted and that word is able to save your souls but don't you just simply receive the word and have your soul saved and then just shut it down right there enter into a marathon and cross the starting line and then say that you're done no you cross the starting line Prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Okay, don't just be a hearer of the word and not a doer. You have a God who is worthy of being followed. And this God who is worthy of being followed, He has promised that if you love Him, that He will give you wisdom. You can receive, if you don't doubt and you believe, you will receive wisdom. And if you will believe him in a way that this belief turns into perseverance, then you will receive the crown of life. And all of that comes from receiving the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But don't you stop at salvation. Live your life in a way that gives itself to the Lord in dedication, following. Give yourself to the Lord. Be dedicated to Him. He has first given Himself to us. Give yourself to the Lord in response to the way that He has generously given Himself to us and allowed Himself to die, to pay the price so that we could be with Him, so that we could be drawn together for an eternal, royal life with Him. Believe on the Lord and live that life. This is well-placed faith.